Let's pray together. Father, we, we believe that you are good. We believe that you are perfect in all your ways, that you are trustworthy, that you are full of truth and you have revealed yourself to us through your word and through your son who came full of grace and truth. So we humbly bow ourselves before you this morning. We submit ourselves underneath the teaching of your word that you would shape our minds, shape our lives, shape our thoughts according to your ways, to your character, toward your nature and your purposes, that we would let loose of ourselves and grab hold of you. Increasingly today, this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you will, turn with me to Mark 7, 9 through 13 is where we'll be reading this morning. Mark 7, 9 through 13. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. But you say... If a man tells his father or mother, whatever you would have gained from me is korban, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and and many such things you do. You know, in in our society, in our world, we, we know that truth matters, and we see this all around us. So today... Today is going to be a great day. I don't know if you know this. Today is going to be a great day, and this is why. The Browns are going to beat Tom Brady. The Indians, the Indians are going to win and go, go up three, right? The Indians are going to win today. It's going to be great. And the Packers play at night. It's the best day ever, all day long. I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going for three wins today. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be a great day. But there's a thing. Even in sports, we know that truth matters, Right? It'll be, if there's a play, right, on second base is close, and it is clear that he was safe, yet the ump calls him out, will be enraged, right, because truth matters. Whether it's a catch in the end zone or whatever, even in sport, we know that truth matters. In relationships, what matters most in a relationship? The truth. Right? If someone holds back truth from us, if truth is not regarded as something good in our marriage, in our life, with our children, with our friends, with our family, if truth isn't something that is happening in a relationship, what happens? There's a rift. There's a brokenness in the relationship. Truth matters in, in sport. It matters in relationship. It matters, um, it, it matters in, in finances. Right? I, I can act like today I have a million dollars. Right? But if I don't, the truth matters, right? Because I'm going to find myself in a lot of trouble really fast if I'm not living in some sort of honesty with the money I have. That's the big problem we have in our nation, right? We're not really being truthful with ourselves about our finances, and therefore we get ourselves overloaded with debt, and then we get really stressed out. Then we have to go on blood pressure medicine, 
And then we have to get a gym membership to get our blood pressure back down so we can go off of blood pressure. It's just an evil cycle, right? This is the whole thing. It, truth matters in all these things. It, it, truth matters with sickness. I, the doctor can tell me, oh, Ryan, you're really, really sick. And I'm like, ah, I don't think he's telling the truth. And one of us will be found out. And whoever's right, right, it, the truth really matters. Truth matters all around us in our world. And, and I think when, when we think about our faith, I think truth... I'm going to step into a misnomer, I think. I think we think in many ways, and we've had apologists, and I love apologists, where they talk about truth, and there's great men of the faith who have done this for years. But I would say there are cultures even shifting to where truth doesn't matter as much as we think it does. And the reason truth doesn't matter as much as we think it does is because we're just too selfish to deal with truth. And, and the selfishness of our day and age is probably more of a battle. Now, truth is always a battle of the heart and life because if you don't believe that Jesus came and died and rose and you don't believe that simple truth, one, you cannot be saved. You, aren't, you, 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 you will not be saved without believing that truth. Truth matters. But we tend to kind of live our lives and our worlds and kind of disconnecting ourselves from truth and live our lives more in a what can I get away with and what do I want? And these tend to be the things that guide our lives more than asking the deepest question of what is true and how do I live my life according to truth? Now, I believe that what is true and how do I live my life according to what is true? I don't know if you think this, but I think that's a better question than what do I want and what can I get away with? But many, many people live in that realm of what can I get away with and what do I want? a self-driven kind of life. We said at the end of, um, and, and so what we want to, um, <clears throat> and so what we want to look at today is traditions, truth matters. And here Jesus is dealing with the traditions of the scribes and the Pharisees. And this is a very interesting tradition. And Corban is this, um, I, I look forward to sharing about this in a moment. It's a really interesting thing that they had kind of concocted to get themselves out of something. And so they used God's word to get out of God's word, which is a really dangerous thing to do. They basically are saying God's word contradicts itself. And so we're just going to we're going to fight our responsibility by getting out of it in another way. And so so in this, they, they, what they did is they 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 held to tradition rather than to truth. And we, what he is calling us to, and what the scripture is going to call us to, is to hold to truth rather than tradition. To hold to truth rather than tradition. And we, we see this happen all the time in life, right? That, 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 <clears throat> that my tradition, what my grandparents did, and what my parents did, and what we do, like this has to be true. And we hold to our traditions higher than we do the truths. Go to 99% of churches that split split over traditions rather than truth. It's a preference. It's a way that I want something. It's a way that it should be done, a preference of mine. And, and we, we hold to traditions harder than we do to truth. This is common. And we said two weeks ago at the beginning of the sermon, are you willing today in the next few weeks to assess your heart and see if your worship is more about the tradition you like than the God you love? We also said tradition for God without affection for God is offensive to God. That God wants something genuine from our hearts in our worship, something not concocted, but something, something that, that truly displays our love 
and our joy for what he has done through his son. So the first thing that we see in this text, and I believe what, what, what Mark is, is, is displaying here about the heart of Jesus, is when he calls these, these, these scribes and these Pharisees, he's telling them that you need to reject a self-serving faith. And that's the first thing, reject a self-serving faith. And this is something that we must do, is we must reject a self-serving faith. Verse 9, again, and he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. So reject, declaring invalid, in order to establish, so, so I'm, I'm, I'm declaring invalid, right, the, the commandments of God in order to establish my own tradition, what I want. The writer of truth and so really what, what, the, the, what, what they're saying is the writer of truth and values has become me. I establish the way, the truth, and the life. I establish what is right rather than God being the one who establishes it through his word. So we do this, we do this all the time. And uh, we do this all the time. I'll illustrate it like this. We do this all the time with our lives. We, <clears throat> we get up. I'm going to try to do this. This is a swivelly stool. And so we do this. <clears throat> We get up here, and we look down at God. It really moves funny. Um, we get up here. Uh, now I'm messing myself up. I'm twirling the other way. We get up here on our high horse, on our stump, and we look down at God, and we say, this is the way it's going to be. This is what you said, and you better hold to it. And we stand above him in our own minds, and we point down on him and we said, you said you would answer my prayer. Why haven't you done it? And you may not be that bold to stand up like that and do it in public, but in our hearts, we stand up and we look down at God and we say, I am going to tell you how it's going to be. How many of you are comfortable with that? The real position, I'm going to jump down. The real position is really by the cross. And it's looking up at the cross and it's seeing my Savior strung wide and it's saying, I don't have a clue. I don't even know if I can see it rightly or correctly, but all that I do know is I'm going to bow my knees down before you. I'm going to put my head down because I am completely, I can't even say it. I'm completely unworthy because of what you've done for me. You see, their heart was completely disconnected from their God. And they were trying to force his hand to make him do what they wanted. And just so you know, if you want to force God's hand, you can go, you can go for it all you want, and you'll burn in hell. And it's that serious. We are not playing with just some common man. We're, 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 we're dealing with the God of the universe who formed me in my mother's womb, who sent his son to die on the cross for my sins, who anything good in me comes from him. I legitimately am nothing, nothing, nothing without him. And how dare any of us act as though we write the script or can tell him what to do? You think, wow, Ryan, something really got underneath you recently. 
this is a problem we face. This is a problem we face in our hearts and our lives that we believe that we can tell God how things are. We cannot, and we ought not ever. We must reject a self-serving faith. Text continues in verse 10. It says, For Moses said, Honor your father, your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. See how grave these I mean the word of God does not pull back. And he's quoting Exodus 20, 12 and Deuteronomy 5, 16. It says, honor your mother and father, and it surely will go good with you all your days. Both the texts basically say the same thing. But he also is kind of combining Exodus 21, 17 and Leviticus 20, 19. And it says that if you do not honor your father, your father and mother, father, whatever. Sorry, mom. And uh, it says, if you do not honor your father and your mother, you must surely die. So little side note, this isn't really the point of this text, but just so you were clear about honoring mother and father, it is our responsibility, according to God's word, to honor our mother and father. This isn't a command that goes away in the New Testament. This is a command that is true. And we see that it's even held to. It is to care for them in their agedness, care for them. I said to Karis the other day, I was changing her diaper I was, I was, I told, um, I've, I've learned not to say that I was babysitting. I was actually parenting uh, my, my daughter. And so I was parenting her the other day, and uh, I was changing her diaper, and I said, Karis, you're about to be done with these because Daddy's not going to buy them anymore. But never forget, one day you're going to have to change mine because I've changed all of yours, right? <laughs> That's how it works, right? 1 Timothy 5.4 holds to it. Um, he says this, But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household. And that phrase is really important, to show godliness to their own household. And make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. It is pleasing in the sight of God for us to care for our mother and father. And so in this, what happens in verse 11? But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is korban, that is given to God. So korban was a vow made. And the vow that was made of, 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 of what is a promise that I'm going to make, um, I'm going to give all my stuff to him later in my life. And so this was a vow. And it comes out of Exodus 30, 12. This is like the roots of where the scribes and the Pharisees had kind of created what, what is korban. And this is what it says in 30.12. If a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. So what happened is that they would say, maybe early in life, at, you know, in their early 30s, they may say something like, all that I have will be given to God when I die. And then it comes time to honor mother and father. They're becoming aged. And you say, oh, I can't give them anything because I've already given it all to God. But I can spend all that I have, and I can do with whatever I want to with all that I have until I die, but my money's my money, and it can't be extended to anyone else. And so really what it was was a twisting of the Scriptures in a self-serving way to get out of the commitment to care for mother and father. And in that time, it would have been very challenging to take care of a mother and father. 
wealth wasn't that excessive. It wasn't a time where, you know, they, they were not living in, in giant mansions and all these things. This would have been a very trying thing, and it would have been a very extend, extending thing for someone. And so out of this, and even, and then the scribes and Pharisees would say, even if your heart changed, you made that vow, and you cannot honor your mother and father and give to them. And so what was happening in this text, and so verse 12, it says, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother. And so what was happening is they were twisting, they were, they were twisting the scriptures, they were rejecting, they, they were rejecting the scriptures, and really their faith was all about serving themselves rather than serving God. Even their oath to saying that I'm going to give all I have to God, the heart of it was not, I love God and I want him to have all that I want. It was, I love myself and I want to keep it all till I die and then he can have whatever I want, whatever I have. So their heart was very disconnected from their own. So we, we must deal with truth. And the error that they have here is, I will not obey, and I'm going to justify it. The truth and the way in which I believe the Lord would, would be honored most, most is, I will obey for his glory because he is worthy of everything in my life. See, Romans 1.1, Paul will address him, and he will say, I, Paul, a slave of Jesus Christ. I mean, this is his language. I am a slave of Jesus Christ. Now, this shows a completely different type of heart, doesn't it? It shows a heart that says, I want Jesus more than anything. Bill Bright, a man who died in the early 2000s, founded Campus Crusade for Christ. He was adamant before his death. He said, please don't put any marker on my stone. Don't put my name. Don't put anything. Just simply put one thing. Slave. Of Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but in my life, I want to be known as a slave of my Savior, Jesus Christ, that He might have complete ownership of every aspect of who I am and complete control of all of my life as He leads me by His truth. See, a strong language for a man who died, right? Strong language, a slave of Jesus Christ. But I would submit to you, I don't think it's strong language at all for a man who died an excruciating death in my place on a cross for my sin so that I might live today and that I might live forever. I think my life being a slave to him is the minimal, least thing that I could do because of what he has done for me. I owe a debt that I can never repay to my Savior. So for us, what does that look like? We, we must stop making God the personal shopper for our life movie. Asking him to provide this and provide that so I can get to where I want. It's the wrong posture. It's the wrong position to take with God. We have to get off of our stumps, our stools. We must look at him and we must say, God, I recognize what you have done and I am your servant. You tell me what to do. The one who died for me and loved me, I am yours. And we must stop this nonsense of, of, of embracing some sort of self-serving faith that is never spoken of in the scriptures. And we are making the same error these Pharisees did when we make God the personal shopper for the props of our life movie. We do this, we say it all the time with these kind of basic entry requirement kind of questions. We ask questions like, what do I have to do? 
You've maybe heard me say this before. Do I have to be baptized to be a Christian? That's the worst question in the whole world. That's like my kids. Do I have to do this to do this? The response is, Jesus, oh my goodness, you died for me on the cross. What, what can I do? You said to be baptized. I'm in. Anything you want from me, how can I repay you? Whatever you want from my life, whatever I have, it's yours. I'm not giving you 10%. I'm giving you 100%. I'm going to obey you in the 10%. But, but the other 90%, it's yours too. My truck, my house, my family, my bedrooms, my life, it is yours. Fill the house up if you want to. Use my resources. Use my stuff. Let my neighbor borrow my chainsaw. None of it's mine. It doesn't run. But, you know... <laughs> Like, it's all yours. Maybe he'll fix it when he has it, right? I don't know what happened. You must have broke it. Sorry. Uh, but but it's, this, it's, it's a different posture before our God. that I don't own anything. Because if you think you do, you are completely deceived. Because you ain't getting out of here with anything. You know, my hope when I wake up in the morning is that I meet my God face to face. We have some time together. And it's conditioning me for that one day when I don't wake up on earth. And I do wake up in heaven. And I see him face to face. And maybe that day will be a little bit normative of what my days were on earth. Now it'll be incredibly better. See, I believe that Jesus woke up early to be with the Father, and I believe that day when maybe God said to him, as Jesus said to so many, arise, my little lamb. And as Jesus arose, it was like waking up to the Father, just like he did every other day as he walked on earth. We have such a good God, and he is worthy of everything in our life. See, this kind of talk, right, it kind of blows our tradition up. It makes the things that matter really matter, and the things that don't matter so much not matter so much. And last, the text calls us in verse 13 to submit ourselves to God's word. It says, thus making void the word of God. And just so you know, you cannot make the word of God void. It is always going to hold toward truth, but they are making it void in their own. By, it says, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. It is what is handed down more than what is true. It is received at times unconsciously. And so, so, so what's happening here is that they're, they're making void the word of God, meaning that it has no effect. It has no peace of their life. It, it is not adhered to. It is not honored. It is not cherished within them. They're casting the word of, word of God aside in their life and running down the paths that they want and they desire and the truths that they want in order for their life to have what they want in it. They can have a little bit of truth, Right? And a lot of it of what their thoughts are and what they want. So we must deal with the truth. And, and at the end of the text, it says, and many such things you do. It says, you do even more. This is just the tip of the iceberg. I'm just sharing one little thing when there's a mountain of other things in which you make the thing in order to serve yourself. And how you've twisted and changed the truth. 
So void, his truth, you know, the, the, the error in this statement in verse 13 is his truth does not apply to me. And the truth is his word applies to every facet of my life, every piece of it. Spiritually, it defines the depths of who I am, who I was created to be, the essence of Ryan Johnston, the depths of my soul. The word of God defines not my experience, not my life, but God, the foundations of who we are. Mentally, how I think, the positions I take, taking my thoughts captive, making them, making them right before the Lord, holding them before him. That, that, that it guides my thoughts and it guides my actions, that my head, my heart, my hands, every piece and faculty of my life, the word of God can, can lead us and guide us and does lead us and guide us. And it is authoritative. It's not about position, like imposing myself upon the word, but allowing the word to impose itself on me. And what they were doing was the opposite. They were imposing themselves and what they wanted on the word rather than allowing the word of God to impose on them for their good and for their grace and for their life. I know for me, when I repented and turned to Jesus, I said, I stink at living my life. And I need you to lead and guide and direct me. Now, I had no clue what I was saying then. But I know exactly. There was more truth in that prayer that I prayed than, than any other prayer I probably ever, ever prayed. It's saying, and just so you know, you stink at living your life too. You didn't know you were going to come to church and hear that, did you? We all do. We can train wreck our life so fast, it's not even funny. But God's word and obeying it will always lead us into truth, will lead us into grace, and will lead us into life. It is worthy of giving our lives to, even when it's hard. And by the way, if you live according to it, it will be hard. But I promise you this, it will be good. We must live in truth. See, the word of God is true. It is without error or fault. It is inspired by God. It is a sword that pierces the depths of who we are. It is profitable for teaching, rebuke, correction, and training in righteousness. It is the revelation of our God. Jesus was the word who became flesh, full of grace and truth. The word of God is invaluable to us. And it is what leads and guides and directs us as a body. And it's what leads and guides and directs us personally in our lives and our devotion to him. So we must be led by what is true in our lives. See, the truth of God's word, of the person of Jesus, and John 1, I've said this, he came full of grace and truth. There is an absolute way to follow at all costs for the truth and that we can live in. And so today... The biggest questions I think this text imposes on our lives is, will we reject a self-serving faith? Because just so you know, that's where the tides of life will take you if you allow them. The tides of this life and the tides of our flesh will take us to a place that we stand up on a stool and we point down at God and we act like we're the boss, that we're in charge. But when we submit ourselves to him and we bow humbly before him, we see his son as he is, arms stretched wide, showing his love for us. We get off our stump. We get off our stool. We bow down before him and we give him our all and say, I am slave of Jesus Christ. Not only we reject a self-serving faith, we submit ourselves to God's words. We settle the authority in our life. I am not in charge. God is, and he is in charge, 
and through his revelation to me, his word. And this is what will lead me, and this is what will guide me, because this is what he has given me so that I might live my life in greater holiness and greater obedience and greater devotion to him. That I might surrender my life, the entirety of my will, to him. So this morning, let's pray together. And as we pray, might God continue to do a work in our lives. And after we pray, you'll have an opportunity to come down, kneel at these altars, and respond to whatever God might be saying to you today. Let's pray. Father, we believe that your ways are good. We believe that you are perfect. And we believe that you are worthy of all of our lives. So we humbly bow our lives before you. Lord, would you lead us and guide us in greater holiness and greater righteousness with our lives. Help us to reject, reject a self-serving faith. Lord, help us to say to you this morning that we are your slaves, that we are your servants, that you call the shots, that we do not. Help us to understand that we do not understand all the ways of our master. But we know your word teaches that you are good, that you are gracious, that you are glorious, that you can be trusted. Help us to value your word and the truth in it. Help us not to run from it. Help us not to twist it. Help us not to justify our sin by it. But Lord, help us to embrace your truth. Help us to fall underneath your mighty hand, fall underneath your word that we might live in your ways and honor you with our lives. Lord, shape our heads, our minds, how we think, the positions we hold. Lord, would you shape them all in accordance to your word. Shape our heart, Lord, according to your ways and what you've done. Help our affection be for you above ourselves, above other things. Help our love for you to be what excels. And Lord, help us to allow our life and obedience to, to be for you in your name and your fame and your glory in all that we do until we see you face to face. Lord, be with us today. Help us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll stand, and as you stand, we're going to sing this last song. And as we sing, if there's anything that you need to deal with with God at these altars in prayer, something you'd like me to pray for you with, we invite you to come as we sing.